What goes on in the inside is uh, critical. As Jesus uh, touches our hearts deep within, we can't help but be transformed to be, uh, to be different. What goes on in the inside uh, really does make a difference on what uh, happens and takes place on the outside. That's what we've been talking about here over these uh, past few weeks, inside out. Our focus, as always, is on what's going on inside. Our focus most recently has been uh, pointing us outward uh, to consider the very things that God would have us to do out, transforming the world just as he has transformed us deep within, inside out. Let's talk just a, a second in, in, uh, in advance of reading our scripture about uh, that very special church at the beginning of the, um, uh, the movement called Christianity. We, we talk about the church that was in Antioch. It was a, it was a springboard for world evangelism. They were uh, not just concerned about things inside, they were concerned about things outside. Uh, the church in Antioch uh, was where the church really began to expand. It was uh, sort of a, a springboard that uh, launched into, into all the world. You might say that the, uh, the church in Antioch was a, a mission-sending enterprise. They were all about going out, all about going out. They, they clearly were a tight-knit fellowship, but as that uh, tight-knit fellowship grew closer and closer to Christ, as they began to know more and more what Christ was uh, wanting for their life together, they couldn't help but go out. We'll read in just a, a couple of uh, minutes a, a list of names, a list of names uh, that are uh, listed there in reference to the church in Antioch, Acts 13, verse 1. They're reflective of the worldwide makeup of, of this church. Uh, that list also reflects what uh, William Barclay calls the universal appeal of the gospel. There was that, uh, that, that, that understanding of a, of a worldview. It wasn't so much uh, parochial. It wasn't just uh, uh, concerned with, uh, with one community, one, one town, one city. But there was a worldwide view, view. There was also a worldwide appeal to the gospel. And so it's represented in, in these names listed. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Uh, Lucius was from Cyrene. Simeon was from uh, Rome. Manian was an aristocrat associated with Herod's court. Paul was a Jew. A, a, a worldwide view that, that clearly... Clearly benoted the, uh, the the universal appeal of the gospel. God had brought all these people together, these that are a part of this list, but but also many more for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to to share the good news about Jesus. The church in Antioch was was blessed with those who were careful to listen to the voice of God. They recognized them as, as prophets. There were also uh, any number of teachers uh, that were present in the, uh, the, the church there in Antioch. They, they stood ready to instruct any new converts in the faith. 
So this church had both prophets and, and teachers. It was from the Antioch church that, that Paul and Barnabas were, were first called to the, the, that so-called first missionary journey. All with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Not just the blessing of the church, but the blessing of the Holy Spirit. It's clear from Scripture that the church in Antioch was all about leaving plenty of room for the Holy Spirit. They wanted to make sure that they were in lockstep with the will of God before they ever sent the first person out. They, they left plenty of room for the Holy Spirit. Well, all that said, let's look at the Scripture. Let's get a glimpse into the life of this uh, early New Testament church, the church in Antioch. Let's uh, read today from Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. <laughs> in these words we find in God's Word. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon from Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is God's word. May it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us as we hear this word read and as we now seek to take our lives and apply them to it. May God bless us all. Let's talk about a, a climate of call, a culture of call, an expectation of call. Clearly, uh, that was very much a part of this, uh, this church in Corinth, this great example of a church in the early New Testament church. They had a culture of call. Down through the years, I have sat through any number of interviews hearing from persons seeking ordination in the United Methodist Church. For uh, about 12 years, I was on the Board of Ordained Ministry in our annual conference. Met with numbers of people. We would uh, conduct interviews, would walk alongside them as they were seeking to discern call. One of the uh, most important things of, of our conversation would be to, to focus in on how that person may be called of God, how they were hearing God calling them into ministry. Now, everybody's call was distinct to that individual. There was, though, a common thread that wove its way through as every person would share about their call to ministry. Those who uh, were sharing in a, a clear sense of, of God's call for their lives would, would clearly assert to the person that it was God who was calling them into ministry. That's that one common thread that God was, was at the center of what was going on in that person's life. My own call to ministry started when I was, uh, was in high school. I, I offered my life to Jesus pretty early on. I'd pretty much uh, squared things away in a, 
and a really important experience for me in around my eighth grade year. It was then that I, uh, I sought to make Christ number one in, in my life. And I've got to tell you, my life has never been the same since. Now, it was soon after that decision that I began to get a sense that God might be calling me into ministry, and I was ready to oblige. I was offered uh, opportunities to, to preach and to, and to teach and to reach out. All along, I was affirmed by those who were a part of my home church. More importantly, I, I found myself affirmed by the Holy Spirit, that God was, was doing the calling, and hence a sense of call to ministry began to form. I continue to this day to affirm that decision to heed the call of God to go into the ministry. I've often said that I, uh, I don't want what I'm doing right now predicated on what I may have decided some 50 years ago. And it's almost surreal for me to, uh, to share that it was that long ago. It, it seems as though it was almost yesterday. In fact, I reaffirm that call day by day. And hence, I pray for the vitality of that call even today, in the present tense, even as we serve together. If you think about it, we are all called to ministry. That's just a part of what it means to be a Christ follower, to be called to ministry. The direction that, that ministry uh, takes can, can take all sorts of forms, can go in all sorts of directions. The common thread is God's leadership in directing us. Just like I said before, the common thread of, uh, of those interviews that, that took place in the Board of Ordained Ministry, as people presented themselves uh, going into ordained ministry, the one thread was that God was the one who was doing the calling. As we have done throughout this series, we've, we've heard from, uh, from any number of people from our own congregation who are involved in, in ministry in warm, one form or fashion. Kim Culler is one of those people she has a distinct call to minister to those who are in prison. I'm thankful that she's heeded the call. I'm thankful that she's doing really great work and has done so over a long period of time. So if you will, let's greet uh, Kim Culler as she comes and shares about her ministry uh, with those who are in prison. Kim, please come. It's hard to do glasses with a face mask sometimes. <laughs> um, I believe each and every one of us is, is called to, to, to ministry, to serve. As we, um, as we study God's word, he says to go and to, um, to share. And that's exactly what I've been able to do. Um, I know there are, um, there are a number of different callings, but I find that my calling into prison ministry was a passion calling. It's been an intense desire to, um, to get to know the ladies there, to, um, to hear their stories, to see them as people, not just, um, 
somebody who's made a mistake because we've all made mistakes. And so to be able to sit down beside each and every one of them, hear their story, listen to them, and then be able to, to say, you know what? I don't care what you've done. What I care about is where you're going from here. And I think that going from here with Christ is a better option than where you were before. And that's just so exciting to see the light bulb go off in their eyes, to see them as they have a realization that they aren't defined by who they were, but they're defined by who God says they are. And to be a part of that has been exciting. I've been doing prison ministry for about 13 years now. It wasn't um, something that I thought I'd be doing. I was uh, asked to join a Residence Encounter Christ uh, program, and I didn't know what I could offer them. I just said yes, I was obedient, and God did all the work from there. He equipped me, he showed me what each one of those ladies needs, and he has allowed me to continue. First, it was only on a monthly basis, but I get to go weekly and multiple times a week up until uh, March, but um, I feel that as I uh, continue to be obedient to him, he will continue to allow that to flourish. So thank you. Ken, thank you. And thank you for your uh, good work and, more importantly, your faithfulness to God. You know, I'm, I'm very uh, thankful that Kim not only uh, heard God's call, that he, he spoke into her life, but that she listened as well. She responded to God's call and has a fruitful ministry to this day. Interesting story from the Old Testament. Young Samuel, the kingmaker, was in bed one night and, and heard someone calling in the night. Mistakenly, he, he thought it was uh, Eli the priest who was calling. Three separate times, Samuel went to Eli in the middle of the night to see what he wanted. After the third time, Eli made it clear that it was not him calling, but God. And if God called Samuel again, Samuel was to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, there's a couple of things that we can uh, glean from that and this stuff of, uh, of hearing and then listening. When, when God calls, he stays at it. He is persistent in his pursuit. So if you're getting that sense of call in your life, uh, God stays persistent. Not just that you will hear, but that you'll really listen to him. There's a big difference between simply hearing and listening. Listening involves getting out of the way and letting God speak into your life. There's also a big difference between uh, just listening and then acting upon what you've heard. To hear, to listen, and then to respond. Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. In regard to hearing God's call upon your, your life, it comes to you to discern what God is trying to say and then to act upon it. That was exactly what was taking place in the in the church there in Antioch. Again, we 
we, we asserted that they had a culture of, of call there. The people left plenty, plenty of room for, uh, for God's Spirit to move. We've already asserted that, and it's, and it, it's certainly worthwhile for us to assert that again. The church in Corinth left plenty of room for God's Spirit to move. Discerning what God wanted wasn't left to just guys like Paul and Barnabas. It was a whole church affair. The whole church was involved so that, that in the end they were, were all able to hear the, the Spirit speak. And then they were able to say, just as the, the Scripture shares, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them set them apart to the work that I have called them. There was a high expectation of call in that church, and everyone was considering how they would be involved. In, in Antioch, they, they weren't allowed to, to sit in the stands or even to, to mull along the, the sidelines. They were called to get in the game. That sort of thing applies to us as well. Lisa mentioned it uh, last week in, in talking about, uh, about discipleship efforts. She, uh, she talked about uh, us not so much being in the stands, not so much mulling along the sidelines, but getting into the game. When it, uh, when it comes to church, we, uh, we come together only to be sent forth, to find ourselves uh, better prepared to, to go. I've often likened our coming together. Let's admit it that we, uh, uh, we're meeting together a, a lot different these days. We're, we're meeting together today. Uh, many are, uh, are joining us uh, uh, via our, our website, live stream. Uh, we meet together in small groups and even larger groups uh, uh, via Zoom meetings. We're, we're meeting together in a lot of different ways. Those are like locker rooms, if you will. What we're doing here today is a lot like a locker room during a game. We, we find ourselves coming together in varied ways, seeking encouragement and instruction to help us with what is going on out there in our day-to-day -day lives, how we will engage those day-to-day -day lives, how we en will engage the people who are around us. The, the game of the Christian life, if you will, is played out as we go about our daily lives, living with those, doing life with those who are around us. You know, I've seen many bulletins down through the years with the name of the, the staff members and their, their titles as a part of that, that bulletin. And, and we've done that certainly in the past. I've, I've also seen... Uh, bulletins where it's listed at the very top of the list, ministers, and there's a colon, and then just to the side is the word congregation. Essentially, the work of ministry is not left to the pastors or the staff, but to the congregation. The ministers of the church are those who make it up, those who have a sense of call, those who are set apart by the church to make good on that call, validated uh, in being set apart, and then go in the, with the encouragement not only of the church, 
but also the encouragement, if not the empowerment, of the Holy Spirit. All of us are called to do the work of ministry. You know, it's interesting that another thing that, that we notice in this scripture from today in, in Acts 13 is that the, the, the church in, in Antioch was, was all about setting people aside, setting them apart, validating what was going on in their lives spiritually with an interest of then sending them out. Antioch took very seriously the responsibility of sending people out. And a part of that responsibility was setting them apart for ministry. In the case of of Paul and Barnabas, the church not only recognized God's call upon them, but they set them apart for the work God was calling them to do. When the church in Antioch was preparing to send out Paul and Barnabas, they came around them, literally. They, they physically came around them, and they laid hands on them. They, they prayed for them and then sent them forth. It was a way of, of setting them forth, sending them out setting them apart, then sending them out for the work that God was calling them to do. You know, I remember the, the night I was ordained. I remember it almost like it was yesterday where hands were, were laid on me. I'll never forget how heavy those hands were. The, the burden of ministry can be heavy at times. And the memory of those hands has helped remind me of that. The memory of those hands has also helped to remind me that, that I'm not alone. The church is with me in ministry. And for that, I am eternally thankful. The church is with you as well in whatever you're doing. You are called. You are set aside for ministry. During these days of COVID-19, where the laying on of, of hands might not be the thing to do, we can at least raise our hands toward one another, as if to remind ourselves that we are set apart, set apart for the work of ministry, to do the very things God has called us to do. We are set apart for the work of ministry. And so we're set apart to be sent, not just to sit around, but to get up and go. That sort of thing is lived out in all sorts of ways. Over the past few weeks, we have uh, heard from any number of people about how they are being sent to do what God wants them to do, including Kim Culler, as we, we heard so beautifully today. In a word, as followers of Christ, we are a sent people. That is our identity. We are a sent people. It's just in our DNA as followers of Christ. Down through the years, I've known people who have uh, cared for the homeless, fed the hungry, tended to those in need of recovery, 
and have worked for justice. And they have sacrificed and given up a lot. <clears throat> Life is, has literally been transformed, reoriented in, in order to do these things for which they have a sense of call, for which they are set apart to do. And then they get up and, and do it. I have known people down through the years who have reached out to young people and then others who have tended to the needs of the elderly. I've known people who have ministered to singles and those who have been, uh, been, been involved in the lives of those who are married. I've known people who have traveled far and wide and others who have stayed close to home. I have known people whose every desire it is to make a difference, all in the name of Jesus. What, what a different world it would be if everyone, you and I included, if, if everyone felt as though they could make a difference. You don't need to be a, a Paul or Barnabas to make a difference. Only one who is well-connected to Jesus raised up by the Spirit, and faithfully desires to do right by the call of God upon your life. You don't need to be Paul or Barnabas. You just need to be yourself. As God presents himself to you, as God works in your life, making you to be the sort of pe person that God would have you to be, as you begin to hear and then to listen, and then to begin to act. Sometimes trying to figure out where we are to go can be like reading this sign. You know, it goes in all sorts of directions, and we ask ourselves, what am I to do anyway? That's where the sort of dependence upon the Holy Spirit, as displayed by the, the, the church in Antioch, becomes so important. Remember, they left plenty of room for the movement of God's Holy Spirit. Such dependence can then lead from the sign that we've been looking at to a sign just like this. It'll become clear this way, this way. And as it becomes clear, we'll even be more clear about the fact that as you go this way, I will be with you. You see, God does not uh, call us into anything that he doesn't equip us to do and that he doesn't empower us to, per to perform. Again, the church in Antioch was all about leaving room for the Spirit to have its way. And I think you and I can learn from that. We can learn from that individually and I know for certain that we can learn from that as a congregation. We need to leave plenty of room for the Spirit to move as we consider what God might be calling us to do individually and as a community of faith. My Wednesday night men's uh, small group is reading through uh, Bruce Wilkinson's the, the Prayer of Jabez. It's a wonderful uh, book on a very particular passage from uh, First Chronicles. In talking about the hand of God upon us to do the work of ministry, Wilkinson 
ask a pretty pointed question. When was the last time your church pleaded for the filling of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time your church pleaded, not just asked, but pleaded for the filling of God's Holy Spirit? I want to call us to that sort of prayer, that we are pleading for the filling of God's Spirit. Pleading for the filling of God's Spirit is critical to any fruitful ministry. Doing so is a deliberate act. It's intentional. We seek after God's Spirit. And as we seek after God's Spirit, we will be awakened to the fact that God's Spirit has been seeking for us all along. Seeking after God's Spirit takes the focus off of what we want, and it puts it squarely upon what God wants. And it is in that that we begin to hear, and in His empowerment we begin to listen, and we begin to act. It is the very thing that will help us understand not only our calling, but where we are to go. And maybe even more importantly, who we are to be as those set apart for the work of ministry. May God bless us all. And let's pray together. God, we thank you for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we plead for the filling of that Spirit in our lives. We plead, Lord, that you would fill us to the overflowing. We plead, Lord, that you would uh, receive us just as we are. And as our hearts are breaking open, may you come flooding in. Lord, we plead that your spirit would fill us as a congregation. That we would begin to hear from you, listen to you, and would seek to, to follow your leadership in our lives. Lord, we... Uh, we pray that you do with us what you will. We pray that we would be awake and alert to the very things that you're trying to do in our lives. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would be awake and alert as it relates to the ministry of this church. God, as we consider the times in which we live, and the constraints under which we find ourselves, we plead for the filling of your spirit that we would not be held by any constraints but only the abandon that comes from the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. So rush like a mighty wind as we plead for your filling. We pray that uh, you come as tongues of fire resting on each individual to where each heart is warmed and is burning deep within, burning with a deep sense of call. And may it be that our hands are extended one to the other, 
that we encourage and affirm that, that each is set apart for the work of ministry and that as each is set apart, may we then go and be as you would have us to be and do as you would have us to be. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and in the power of the Holy Spirit.